Today we start our It's a Wonderful Life uh, series, our At the Movie series, like we've said, and and uh, it, it's always a fun time. It's just a way to kind of bring the message and bring the word in a different way than just, you know, word for word right out of the Bible and scripture, and we will do that too, but it's just a fun way to bring the word to people that, especially at Christmas time, you'll have lots of visitors, and it's a way maybe to connect with them that, that they may not understand otherwise. So here we are. Uh, it's Christmas time, like we said, and every year around this time, Christmas prompts us toward remembering those in need, right? We here at One Life, like we talked about during the announcements, and we'll be doing the same again this year with the veterans, um, we always try to do some kind of outreach. It's, during our big event, we like to do some kind of outreach like we have done in the past, many of us have taken part in the Angel Tree Network, right, where you buy an angel and donate and all that stuff, and they put your name and all that stuff on a tree in the community, and, and it goes to great causes. All the money goes to um, children's needs and all that. So w- we take part in the shoe boxes. We've done that here at One Life. The children have sponsored the shoe boxes where we send those off filled with goodies for kids all around the world. We've done that. We take care of people in other countries that we sponsor all through the year, not just at Christmas time, but also all through the year. And we've done it here at our, with our own local church, with our own widows and retirees. We've tried to take care of them at different special occasions. So even especially at Christmas time, uh, these larger organizations, they reach literally millions of people, needy people and children, each year with gift, with a gift. And it's not just that tangible gift that they are able to give them, but also a lot of times it's that hope, right, that Christmas brings. And we've done a series on that during Christmas time about hope. Um, But that's what, you know, not just that they get money or get some kind of means to an end, but it's also given them hope during this holiday season. This time of year, it's about finding out that perfect gift, right? How many of us took part in all the festivities of Black Friday and what do they call Thursday, Dark Thursday. I'm not sure what the, I, I don't remember what they call it, but we all take part, in, some of us take part in that. I know many of you don't, but um, it's, it's the search for that perfect gift, right? And that means lots of shopping, which many of you that do know me know that that I feel like is my gift and calling in this life, Right? My husband, he can go all around the world. He can go to Africa as many times as he wants. He can go to Honduras, Ecuador, wherever he's been, you know. That's great, and I hope to do that sometime. But I had always said that I think my true calling is just as important walking into Macy's because I don't know how all the little elderly ladies somehow find me. I don't know if it's this happy face I have. I'm not sure what it is, but they find me, and I hear some awesome stories that, um, you know, sometimes they just need someone to talk to, too, right, and encourage them. So my call and my ministry, I feel like, is at Macy's. That's my thing, you know. Everybody talks about being out in the great outdoors during the fall season and hunting and all that stuff. Well, I hunt for bargains. That's my thing. My idea of the great outdoors is coming out of my hall, my door into my garage, getting in my car, pulling out of the garage, walking into the mall, right, walking into Walmart. That is my experience of going to the great outdoors. I mean, I see trees walking into Macy's. There's trees out there whipping in the wind. I see nature, right? Birds fly by. They poop on my car just like they do yours. So I experience nature with the best of you. 
But my calling in life is shopping. You know, that's just a joke. I mean, really, you know, it is about touching people. And I believe you can do that wherever you are, right? Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's on the street, whether it's at the mall, you know. And I know we have to be saved to get through Walmart at the first of the month, right? You have to really rely on God to get out of there with your life, right? The first of the month. So that is, that's my synopsis of my ministry. So in case you all didn't know that. If, if you are my age or older, though, you can remember a time when there was not a Huntington Mall. Anybody remember that? Yep. Before there was a Huntington Mall. Yes, believe it or not, there was a time when we used to have to go downtown Huntington, get in your car, go downtown Huntington, and go from shop to shop, go in and out of the doors, in and out of the cold, the rain, the wet, the snow, the heat, whatever the season was, walking for blocks, in the weather, out in the great outdoors. And remember back with me, there was the smaller, like cheaper stores, like the Five and Dimes, like McCroy's. Remember McCroy's or H.L. Green? You could even go in a lot of times. I remember some of them still had like the little restaurant in the back where you could go the sit on the bar stools and order something to eat. And that was like a big outing for us back in the day. You know, and it was a really big outing when it wasn't just your mom, but like if your grandma took you shopping, because you know you grandmas, you will buy anything, right? You, you have your grandkids, Connie knows all about it. You have your grandkids that you will buy anything for them. So it was always fun to go downtown Huntington shopping. Um, but if you wanted something really nice, if you wanted to buy a nice gift, a, a little more upscale stores, you would have, do you remember Anderson Newcomb? Mm-hmm which later became Stone and Thomas, which is now no longer in existence, right? We, we no longer have Stone and Thomas. But uh, we had all these different stores. And, or you could walk down the street and around the corner and go to George H. Wright. There was like a real nice men's store there around the corner. And you could never take a trip to downtown Huntington without making a stop at Mr. Peanut. Anybody remember Mr. Peanut next to the Keith Alby? Remember? You would have to go to Mr. Peanut and indulge in your favorite fresh roasted peanuts, your cashews, whatever kind of your favorite nut was. And my favorite was the hot salted cashews. You'd get a little bag and they'd be all hot and warm and you would eat those. But with all that nostalgia and all that stuff that we're talking about, my fondest memory of of that time was going downtown and you knew that it was Christmas time. When walking down the sidewalks or you get out of your car in the parking lot or if you were lucky you got a parking spot right in front of the store, right on the avenue there, those bells of the Salvation Army, they were ringing, weren't they? Those little people, they were just ringing it with all they had and standing out there braving the cold and the rain too to, to uh, be a servant, to be able to ring that bell and you put some money in that red can and you just knew that you were going to change the world with your 50 cents, didn't you? You had hope that that was going to make a difference. But those bells, they were ringing. Um, It's a tradition, the Salvation Army, that's a tradition of um, being servants and and of being, helping others. That goes back to the 19th century as this organization collected to give monetary gifts to the less fortunate. And that fundamental idea, it still rings true today. We still see it, even though we're not downtown Huntington at the mall. They have it in front of Walmart, Kmart, wherever you are, those bells are still ringing today. 
And, but we spend countless amounts of money and hours to find that perfect gift. But we know that all of this, all of this that goes on during the holiday season, it began as a way to, a beautiful way to honor Christ, right? It started as his birthday and the day that we celebrate the life that he came to die for. He came, he lived to die for us, right? And we celebrate that every year on December 25th. It's amazing to me, and I'm very aware that I do this myself, but we act like that we don't know that the 25th of December is coming, right? We act like, oh, well, oh, it just sprang upon us. No, it didn't. We know it's going to come around every year, and we do it, we procrastinate. That's what we do. But it's an excellent starting point in learning how to give, but it should not be our ending point. Yes, Christmas comes once a year, but it shouldn't stop there. It should be a gift that keeps on giving, right? Just like those gift cards at the mall, they just keep on giving, right? Well, Christ's gift, him coming to die for us, him coming as man as flesh to die for us, that was a gift that keeps on giving today. And that's what we celebrate each and every Christmas season. And we all know the scripture from John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave so that the word would become flesh, so that, that that part of him would come to this earth, take on that human form as a man, and be able to give what was intended from, from day one of creation. And our Heavenly Father, he did not write a check. He did not swipe his card. He did not order something from Amazon and pray that it got here on time for the holidays to be wrapped up in matching wrapping paper and bows. And, and if you're like me too, I have to have my, my wrapping paper match my tree, whatever my tree looks like that year. I have to make sure my bow matches the wrapping paper. And then I have to make sure that the gift bags match the wrapping paper, the bows and the tree. Does anybody else like freak out over that kind of stuff? I, I know you, I'm, You guys don't. Okay. That's just me. But his giving wasn't from a distance. It wasn't from um, sending it in the mail, like I said. It's not, um, you know, hoping that he got the right thing and, and made sure it fit and it was the right color and all of that. His giving was not from a distance, but was the initiation of an intimate relationship with humanity that he had created and he had loved us so much. He loved us that much that he did that. And that's one thing that we must grasp early on in our journey with him is that it's a relationship, not a religion. It's a one-on-one talking to, not just talking, but how about taking the time to listen to what he has to say also. It's a one-on-one relationship with him, right? It's a relationship, not a religion. Uh, Let's go to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And the New International Version, it reads like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even unto the cross. This is something here that at one life that we try to accomplish and that we try to portray and that we try to reach out and that that we are servants 
We're not volunteers, we're not hirelings, but humble, obedient servants. And that's what we try and strive to be here at One Life on a daily basis, to be servants. Now, one of my other fondest memories of Christmas was watching old movies. Okay, Brian Brian accuses me, well, your pastor accuses me of, uh, I can sit there and he'll come downstairs or he'll get ready to leave, do something, and I'll be watching a movie, right? And he'll be gone for hours and he'll come back and I'm still there watching the same movie, right? They're not like they are today. They're not like hour-long movies, but the old classics, they were, what, two hours, intermission, and then maybe another hour, right? They were like three-hour movies. So, yeah, I get accused of that. I, I get hooked on those old movies. I'm like the old classics. And once again, you have to remember that I am reaching middle age here, okay? I got a birthday in December, and I'm reaching middle age. And things were a little bit different back in the 70s, okay? Yes, we still had TVs, and they, there was, I remember still having a black and white TV. We didn't always have color TV. Um, we had antennas and not satellite or cable, and we definitely did not have a remote, right? I mean, so whoever got to the TV first, that's what you were watching. And there was no argument about it. It's whoever reached the TV first. And if you fought over whatever, you know, just forget it. You're not watching TV at all, right? So, yeah, we, we had it real rough back then. Um, so, yeah, that's how it was. And also, I remember, you know, if, did any of you ever stack TVs? Did you all ever do that? Like, if one, the sound worked, but the the picture didn't on one. See, it happens, right? I mean, that is like hillbilly if you ever saw it. But yeah, you would stack them. If one, the picture worked and the sound didn't on the other, you stacked them, right? Then you had the foil on the antenna. We all did it. It might have been cheap, but we did it. Or if you live next door to someone, did you ever, oh, I'm sorry, Brother Jack. Did you ever try to like, like share cable once you did finally get cable? Okay. Sorry, Brother Jack here works for Suddenlink, so we don't do that anymore, though. We're honest people here at One Life, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we did that. Um, You know, it was a time when things were kind of simple. We thought we had it rough. You know, it was kind of simple, but we did it. And don't get me started on as a young child. Why was it that that Disney Channel, you only had three channels to begin with, but Disney always ran the family-oriented movies on Sunday nights. And if you were a bunch of religious folk like we were, you did not miss Sunday night church to watch Disney Channel. That was not permitted. There was no questions asked. You just didn't do it. But that's what Disney did to us. They would, you know, want us to stay home from church and watch it. We never got to do that, ever, ever. And, of course, we were Pentecostal, so by the time we got home, that, that show was always off before we got home. So that's how we, that's how we, that's how we rolled back in the 70s. Um, so whatever you got, whatever your, your favorite was, you know, you, you had to take turns with that TV. And we only had one TV in the house, by the way, unless you had them stacked, but you only had one local area in the house that had TVs. Um, there were, there were the classics, you know, there were the awesome classics that would play every year during Christmas time. There'll be, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. There was, uh, I'll be home for Christmas, and then they started, like, with the Rudolph, the animated stuff that you look at and watch now, and you're like, ooh, was, did I really like that? Was that really cool back then? You saw Rudolph, you saw Charlie Brown Christmas finally came along, 
Uh, but the true classics, like Miracle on 34th Street and all that. But my favorite, my very favorite, and that's why I was so excited when we decided to do this series, was It's a Wonderful Life. Was and is still my favorite Christmas movie to watch. You really knew that it was Christmas. That it was on its way, that it was coming when one of maybe the three channels that you did have, like I said, it would run It's a Wonderful Life, right? And even if you had seen it a hundred times, you got so excited that it was like you sat there and watched it like it was your first time watching it. You'd settle in with the family, you'd grab your snacks and, and your, what, tab? Was that tab that we had back then? Yeah, all that, that stuff. You'd sit around and um, watch It's a Wonderful Life. Even though you'd seen it a hundred times over, you'd watch it like it was the first time. And really, if you do that now, I mean, you still see things that maybe you didn't catch before when you were younger, and you catch things, you know, again... And so the film, but this film of It's a Wonderful Life, it tells of the story of George Bailey. You remember George Bailey? How many have seen It's a Wonderful Life, first of all? Thank you. I thought I'd stand up here just talking to that door back there. But it's, it's a story of George Bailey, a young man grown up in small town America in the first half of the 20th century. And George, he desperately wants to get out of Bedford Falls and experience life through travel, higher education, he wants a meaningful career, not to stay. His father's talked to him at this point, wants him to stay and, and take over the family business. He wants him to follow in his footsteps and keep it in the family. He, wants to, he, wants, he doesn't want to stay there and just become normal. He wants to go out and win the world. And he has big plans. He has big plans and big ideas that he wants to experience. But there's just one thing standing in his way. He's always thinking of others. He's always, whether he wants to or not, is always portraying that servant heart to others. When his father passes away unexpectedly, George puts his dreams for college on hold to save his father's building and loan company. He even gives his, his little brother the money uh, for him to go off to college. He sacrifices his money for his brother to follow his dreams and he gives to the less fortunate. You see in the movie that he gives and helps a lady that maybe other people wouldn't talk to or even um, come in contact with. But that was his love of people. And when a bank run threatens the financial stability of the town, George and his new bride Mary, you remember Mary, not the Virgin Mary, but in this movie it's Mary, gives up their honeymoon and their honeymoon cash to help avert disaster in the town. And so on and over and over until Christmas Eve in 1945, which is where this movie takes place. George's, his forgetful uncle misplaces $8,000 in business funds, which in today's terms would be $106,303.37. Now, also, if you all know me, I'm not a big mathematician. I had to Google that. But that's what it would be. And George takes the blame for his uncle so his uncle would not be shamed, so that his uncle would not be ridiculed through the community and to, for people to know that he was so forgetful and all that. So he took the blame, once again thinking of others. Desperate. George is desperate at this point because he's looked all around. The town's looked, his friends, his family, everybody's looking for this money. Desperate, he seeks help from his longtime adversary, Mr. Potter. 
You know, there's got to be one in every town, isn't there? There's always one that's just always got to stick their ugly nose in everybody's business and be just, you know, be that way, be that one person. And never suspecting that Mr. Potter, he already knows the truth. He already knows where the money is. Why? Do you remember the story? Because he's got it. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. But he, he, George goes to Mr. Potter to find out if he could help him. And he doesn't know that Mr. Potter has the money. So watch this clip. It's called Show Me the Way. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir, no, sir, I haven't. What oh, is it, a woman then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? Well, I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have everything? You know why? Because they run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. Yeah, Bill, this is Potter. Oh, Merry Christmas! Glad you come. Oh, 
How about some of that good spaghetti? We got everything. been there right you've been there desperate you've been there where some days everything that could go wrong does go wrong right and you're desperate and we see here that mr potter had a wonderful opportunity though to end this feud with george didn't he he had an opportunity he could have just fessed up and told the truth and act honorably and selflessly he could have returned the money to george with apologies for the mix-up and wish him a Merry Christmas, and all would have been forgiven, all would have went on, New Year would have rolled in, and have been a new day and a new time in the community. He could have considered George's family or young children, his employees, and his customers, all of whom would be impacted dramatically and negatively by the demise of this building alone and what it would do to the community. Potter might have even emerged from the whole incident as a hero, had he done the right thing. But the only opportunity he could see was for revenge, condescension, and dissension, the opportunity to try, try to take George down to the lowest common denominator that he, he, could, he could bring him down. He was gloating, he was threatening, he tore George down and even spoke the words that would echo in his hopeless soul that night, that you're worth more dead than alive. That's some hurtful words for somebody to say over your life, right? The taunting, the speculation, the innuendo, the false accusations that Potter made against George were beyond hurtful. It was devastating for George to hear these words out of this man. He knew he didn't like him. He knew that he didn't have his support. But to hear those words are still very hurtful and echoed through George's mind and his heart. Because George... For George, especially knowing the truth, that he wasn't the one that lost the money. He wasn't the one that did this horrible thing. It wasn't his fault, but for others' sake, and so others wouldn't be hurt, and so that others wouldn't be ridiculed and mocked and looked upon in the, negatively in the community. He himself, George himself, chose, it was his choice, to take on what Potter had said and to choose to let Potter think what he wanted to think. Potter also gave of himself. George gave him himself greatly. He made sacrifices not just for his family, but for the business and the community. But Potter also gave of himself. The problem was that he had nothing good to give. He gave some things, but it was horrible things. Bad attitude, negativity, it was strife, it caused heartache, it caused dissension, not just in their home, but in their, their community. So if you're giving, if you're going to give of yourself and to others, first you need to look at your heart. You need to look at your heart and see what your motives are and why you're doing what you're doing. 
Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart on its own is deceitful. It's wicked and it's incurable. But also we know that if our heart is right and our motives are right, right? We know the truth and we must have clean hands and a pure heart. Because you yourself will be the one that will have to answer for everything that you've done, everything that you've said, everything that you've accused others of. That all comes back on you and it all comes back on me. In and of yourself, you are not much of a gift. Yes, we are awesome and wonderfully, we are wonderfully made, right? We have been created in his likeness. So yes, we are wonderful. He loves us with an everlasting love. We know that. But in and of yourself, you are not much of a gift. We may try to pull off some nice humanitarian feelings and especially at the holiday like we talked about, you give sometimes out of obligation or because you walk out and you don't want people to see that you didn't drop some money in that red can. But the kind of giving that really reaches others is when you yourself has been, when you have been redeemed, when you have been set free from this egotism that Mr. Potter had or this jealousy or this desire to just tear somebody else down. You have to be free from that sin. You have to be free from the desire to just always wanting more. It's always good to have more and to do better, but we have to have Christ in us so he can work through us when we do do these things. So look, he, he knows my heart. He knows your heart better than anybody else. Why? Because he created it, didn't he? And if he created that heart, he can recreate it. And that's the opportunity that we have each and every day of our lives. And especially when we walk through these doors every Sunday or if we're in Wednesday night at our living room services, we have that opportunity to make that heart new. And it doesn't even have to be a big emotional event for that to happen. It could be in your car. It can be sitting at home, watching an old classic movie or anything. It could be anywhere at any time. But he knows your heart better than anybody else. He already knows what's there. So why pretend, you know, why pretend that you, he doesn't know? He already does. So let him, let him fix what he already created, right? So he knows us, he knows the truth, and that's all that matters. When you lay your head down at night, you know the truth. God knows the truth, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. Because he is our defender, and he is our redemption. Christ offers this redemptive heart. That's his gift to us. He offers a total transformation of your old self to a new one, one that is made more and more like him. And that's what we strive to do every day is to be more like him. You can do nice all by yourself. If all you want is to be on Santa's good list and sing the songs about making a list and checking it twice, that's all done in good fun and all that. But if you want to be on that list, that, that, that list of being redeemed, then there's a different way to get on that list. It's not based on what you do, but on what Christ did in you and for you. And all we have to do is accept it. Don't you think we, we make it so hard sometimes? It's, it's an easy thing to do, but we make it so hard. And just like George, he may have went, the wrong, he may have went to the wrong person and gone to Mr. Potter he may have went to the wrong place. You see him sitting in the bar and you had, I don't know what kind of singing that was, but you heard that singing in the background. He's sitting at the bar. He may have even went to the wrong place for help. 
And he even described himself as not a praying man, right? So it proves to us, and we see in this movie that even though as, as honorable as George was and as servant as he was and as how much he wanted to bless his community, it's all, to, all right to have all these good, to be a good person, right? But it's in knowing him and knowing who Christ is in you. So he said even himself he was not a praying man. He listened to the wrong voices. He allowed what Mr. Potter said work on his mind, didn't he? That chatterbox that just goes on and on in our mind when we hear something or we hear somebody else say something. He, he was listening to the wrong voices. And he began to believe that, like Mr. Potter said, he was worth more dead than alive. Now that's a desperate place to be, isn't it? That you feel like you're worth more dead than alive. But you know what? There's a lot of people in this, in this community, and I dare to say even sometimes in this room, that there are people that feel that way. But we have to know, like I said, we have to have clean hands and a pure heart and know our motives as to why we do what we do and to know that there are people hurting and what our actions are affect them, just like their actions affect us. And George realizes that life isn't just what it seems, though. And it doesn't take long for this story to take a funny twist and turns, and we'll see a lot more of that next week uh, when your pastor comes back. Uh, but there's always a backstory. There's always a past. And you, as the movie goes along, you'll see a lot of George's past. And there is also your present situation that you're in. You always have a past. There's always something that's happened. There's always something that you've gone through, good and bad. And there is a present situation, that moment, that whatever that is that you're going through in this time, at this moment. But you know what? There's always a future too. Don't you wish that you could just see into the future, right? Don't you wish that you could just look at something or just look to the stars and see that this is the way you need to go. This is the answer you need. This is the person you need to go to. This is where you're going to get your answer. This is where you're going to get what it is that you're looking for. But God knows our future, and it's in his word. Like I said, we make it so hard, but just as George did, he can ask God to show him the way because God is the one that holds all three. He holds your past, he holds your present, and he holds your future. As the worship team comes, let's remember, we've all been there at our lowest point, right? Just as George has been, he was at his lowest point, not knowing what to do, maybe turning to the wrong people. He was being taunted by the enemy on every hand, being falsely accused. He had speculation and innuendo flying all around the community. And even by those that he did trust and the ones that he didn't trust, it was flying everywhere. And it was one of the worst days of his life. He was being a servant and wanting to protect the innocent, wanting to defend himself, but he couldn't. Listening to the enemy and almost believing the lies. There comes a point where you listen and you might take into consideration just so you can evaluate the situation. But it's ultimately what God says about the situation and about you that is the most important. Like George, we too can ask him to show us the way. And what a better time than during this holiday season, right? That we could get clarity on our past, what we're going through now, and what God has for us in the future. This is a great place to start. 
we can choose to call upon him and receive direction and that gift of salvation and that gift of redemption that we talked about early on. And it doesn't cost a thing but your true heart, your true heart and your true motives towards him so that you too can give others the gift. It's not just about what you receive from him, but it's what you're able to give back to others, right? It's not just about receiving this gift and keeping it to yourself. It's about spreading it out and sharing that gift with the others. In some of the scenes, you can see a quote later on in the movie on George's wall on his office. And it says, all you can take with you is that which you give away. So give it away. Give away what you know. Give away the gift that you already have in you. So stand with me this morning. We're going to pray. 